it's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. All right. Well, Robert? <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> the only proper way to start this podcast, yeah, really. It's true. Actually, maybe we should just start by explaining what yeah, buddy means and where that came from. Because yeah, it's, buddy. It's something that Robert and I have been saying to each other since 2010. So it's been t- a decade. You know, it has been almost exactly a decade since that big trip that we went on together to promote your first book. Yeah. Yeah. First book came out uh, 10 years ago. That's amazing. Almost, Wasn't that kind a- of almost to the day? It came out in April. Yep. And we went on that trip in April. Was that April or March? You know what? It was. We went we went to the Seattle Veg Fest within three weeks of the book coming out. Yep. Yep. And that's and the Yeah Buddy joke started because you were telling me a story about it, Ronnie It's Coleman? Ronnie Coleman, the that- famous bodybuilder, arguably the greatest bodybuilder in history. That is his number one expression is, yeah, buddy. <laughs> yeah, buddy. And then he has a few others like, ain't nothing but a peanut. <laughs> And everybody want to be a bodybuilder, but don't, nobody want to lift that heavy ass weight. I do it though. You know, uh, that kind of stuff. So he's, he's just a character. He's well known, well loved, well liked for being that kind of a little bit of a goofy best bodybuilder in the world. He's massive size. To this day. I mean, massive size, but like a Mike Tyson high pitch voice <laughs> on a 330 pound, 3% body fat frame. Yeah. Just shouting. Yeah, buddy. To anyone who will listen. <laughs> How often do you hear other people say, yeah, buddy? All the time, especially at expos or fitness expos where he is. Like, you'll yell from across the room, yeah, buddy. And he'll kind of look up and he'll say, he'll say it back, yeah, buddy. It's just like a thing that people do. It's a greeting. Like how I met you in the hotel lobby today. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's fun when you have, like, a really good inside joke that can last that's, 10 plus years. I mean, that's what I have with Jock and Danny. They just sent it just now. They said, they said yeah, yeah, buddy. They said, yeah, buddy, safe travels. But I think it's funny, too. Like, you and I write that to each other on social media. Yeah. Or sometimes we'll just say Y B. Yep. That, same <laughs> with Y. And Those guys. sometimes we do we spell buddy B U T T Y just, you know, to be a little cheeky. Rubber cheek. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> yep. And and sometimes I just turn the other cheek when that yep. happens. Yep. <laughs> we have a lot of inside jokes from that trip. You know what I'm gonna link to in the show notes of this episode? is those videos we recorded 10 years ago where we have an outtake version. We actually did a bunch of videos. So I will definitely link to the Ronnie Coleman videos because there's at least one. of There's probably compilations of him saying, yeah, buddy. Uh, sure. I'll link to the videos that we did on that trip. We have a whole like Where we book actually tour. saw Santa and his sleigh. We did. Yep. Which yep. was amazing. <laughs> we saw Old Man Withers, the, the man who owns a haunted amusement park <laughs> yep. in Scooby-Doo. Yep. Not really, yeah. but oh, no, like, we wow. had we had a lot of a lot of really fun moments captured on camera and uh, brings me a lot of joy to watch that. So if anyone else wants to see that side of me and Robert, that'll be in the show notes at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. And of course, we'll we'll link to Robert if you're being introduced to him for the very first time. Robert and I met through Twitter and we actually got to tell Biz Stone, one of the founders of Twitter, uh, that we had met 
And that's another interview that we could link to. We've done a lot together yeah, over we, the years. Yeah, I was just talking about meeting just last night. I was talking about yeah. meeting James Cameron on the red yeah. carpet, right. which is what you got me into. Before he went vegan. Before he went vegan. We, were, yeah. we actually interviewed him about that. Then he yeah. was inspired to go vegan about a year later from Forks Over Knives. But you and I, I mean, you're the one, you're the one that got me into that red carpet event. And we interviewed him there. Yeah. And... You know, these days, Gary Vaynerchuk is a big investor into Twitter, but we were the ones that tell Biz Stone in person that there's, there's this Gary guy, this wine guy who's a big fan. He didn't even know Gary back then. Wow. Are you yeah, serious? We're the, I, was, I was the one to relay that because I had met Gary a number of times in person. I know, you were a big, I was big fan. Big fan I was of actually Gary. at dinner last night with some people and showed them the photos of me and Gary from 10 years ago. And... I was the one to tell Biz that this, there's this Gary guy who's a massive fan of Twitter. He's got a million. He's like the only non-celebrity with a million followers who really wants to meet you. And sure enough, they met like, I think, weeks later. Wow. And then Gary's been a big investor ever since and big wow. advocate and fan of Twitter. And Okay. So speaking of Gary V, I got onto TikTok as a result of his recommendations. Are you using TikTok at all? You know, I'm not right now. And actually, I had this conversation with someone yesterday, too, about how I missed the boat with Instagram. I didn't mm. join for years after a lot of other people did. And then once I did join, I had my wife run the account for me. I was completely adverse to it. I wanted nothing to do with it. I went through phases where after being really prolific on MySpace, I filmed a documentary, the entire soundtrack of the Vegan Fitness Built Naturally DVD, which we sold a few thousand copies of, was from which MySpace. Which I still, I just went through my storage unit, by the way, and I yeah, meant you, to send you a I photo. Think you did. I think you did. Maybe, I thought you did. Maybe like a year or so ago, but I just went through it again okay. like last week and I found your DVD in there. And I'm like, this is this is a, a collector's item. <laughs> it is now. Uh, <laughs> Wait, so what does that have to do with MySpace? Because I got the entire soundtrack from MySpace musicians. Whoa. So it's like MySpace oh, was like the wow. SoundCloud it, back it was, then, right? And they were all vegan musicians. Uh, I, I connected with all of them from Nashville to Hollywood to Florida. They were all over the, the, the country. Maybe actually all over the world. Some from Europe, too. And they all agreed to contribute to the soundtrack. So, I, I mean, I was obsessed and addicted to MySpace, Facebook. I resented having to go to sleep because I wanted to be able to crush it on those platforms. And you also didn't like to spend a lot of time outdoors, I remember. You're like, oh, activities. I don't do activities. <laughs> when we first met, I told you I don't do activities. And yeah. I, I, I've been reflect, reflecting a lot on that lately, you know, because I, I, I am trying to live more. You know, I'm trying to do more things that are meaningful. and. I reflect on a lot of times that I just spent in front of a computer, not spending time with people. Even someone, uh, one time, a really close friend threw me a 30th birthday party and I got upset. This was before my party here in, in LA. I had one in Oregon because uh, I moved right around my 30th birthday and my friend threw me a party, uh, my friend Tasha, and like, I got I got like upset. I got like annoyed or frustrated with her because that took time away from me spending time on Twitter to grow my brand. And she, you know, she started crying and all of this because I, I felt really bad because I was like, what are you doing? Like, you know, I've got work to do. Throw me, you know, birthday party. But that was my, that was my mindset. That came a little bit from Gary Vaynerchuk. It came a little bit from my upbringing. It came a little bit from outside influence, but. Well, uh, on that note, how do you feel about Gary's whole hustle mentality? Because that for me, Jason and I talk a lot about this. I have very mixed feelings about Gary Vee. There's a side of me that really respects him. I think he's incredibly educated. He's a powerful speaker. He does have great advice. Like TikTok, for example, I think ha is a really great platform to be on. It's a very special thing that we have right now. But there's also this side of me that feels like 
it can be detrimental to mental health or maybe push people in a direction like you're saying where they maybe miss out on, on important parts of their lives because they're so focused on the hustle. Is that how you feel? Do you, are you still a fan of his? I have a lot of mixed feelings. And, and Jason and I were talking in Orange County a couple of weeks ago just about you know, a lot of things, including self-confidence and feeling comfortable in our own skin, uh, as I've often not, actually, which may, a lot of people may not know. I've gone through a lot of... Uh, I mean, I actually cringe looking back at those videos you mentioned. I was so skinny. When I was on a vegan bodybuilding tour, I, stress got to me. I had no money. I wasn't eating right. I wasn't sleeping right. I was even, you know, taking, you know, just, just over the counter yeah, melatonin, you know, sleep, things to help me fall asleep at night. I was doing six energy drinks a day to stay awake so I could be productive at all moments. I got really skinny. And I look back and even those, like those times at the post office and everything with the long receipt of shipping hundreds of books, I was just so thin, even though I was so excited about a vegan bodybuilding book. And I've vowed to never let that happen again when I release books. And so I've been training hard and working hard and all that, but yet I still have some struggles. And told Jason, I mean, I, it was even hard for me to show up at the event that I was at with all these elite plant-based athletes where I, I'm the bodybuilder guy and I've got this new big book deal and this new exciting stuff in my life, but I, I, I was still trying to come into my own. But to answer your question about Gary, I have a lot of mixed feelings about Gary too, but I think he's changed a lot. He's done a whole 180, I think, and he is super authentic and transparent about, about that hustle thing. He is, I think he is actually one of the leaders in in mental health and happiness right now. I don't know if you followed him much lately over the past year. He is obsessed with being happy yeah, and finding your own happiness. And if that means doing something that's not uh, of your parents' wishes or of your, you know, what other people expect for you and of you, but that's following your own heart, even if it means going back and living with your parents or living with a bunch of roommates so you can afford to live an authentic lifestyle and not a fake Instagram lifestyle. So you can afford to be in, in a comfortable situation where you can pursue your happiness or, or start a family. He's changed dramatically and really matured over the years. I mean, he's only a few years older than me. I'm 40 in a few weeks. He's, I think, 43. And he's really, really matured over the years. And his hustle at all costs mentality, I think, has really been watered down a bit. And I think it's a really good thing. Yeah, I think he's softened. Like I've, I've perceived that he's softened in the sense of there's one quote that I see him come up with a lot of times recently on, on his videos, which is people saying, like, I'd rather, I'd rather cry in my Ferrari. And he's like, what? This is insane. He's like, I would rather be, you know, happy as hell doing what I love in my Honda Accord yeah. than cry in my Ferrari. So to your point, Robert, I mean, I've, I've seen a shift away from him into this, you know, hustle at all costs, uh, worshiping the God of materialism that is so rampant in entrepreneurship, right? It's, it's like this idea that we have to hit our metrics, we have to hit our goals, we have to get the Ferrari, we have to get the big house. And I think even, you know, even in the wellness industry, I see a lot of that. It's not just you know, a specific type of entrepreneurship. I feel like even for all three of us on this podcast right now, I feel certainly still a pressure of having to be a certain way or accomplish a certain thing or have a certain amount of money coming in. Well, that's something that would be really great to discuss. And for you, especially Robert, because it's something that Jason and I discuss all the time is all three of us have been vegan social media advocates and users for at least 10 years. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I got on Twitter and Facebook in 2008 or nine 
You were on MySpace. You you were on MySpace, Jason? Oh, yeah. I had my music on MySpace back I in I never 04. really used MySpace. It wasn't a thing for me personally, definitely not professionally. And so we were, we were each on these platforms, you know, and even though you felt like you, quote unquote, missed the boat with Instagram, you know, you were still on all these other platforms for a while, whether you're making videos on YouTube, still fairly early, right? Yeah, early. I had my own show. And then I just stopped feeling comfortable on camera. And I stopped and I honestly didn't feel comfortable on camera for another 10 years. And maybe I'm still not. I'm rarely ever on camera these days. I don't know if anyone noticed. And I even did a little Instagram video from the gym the other day, mostly to give a shout out to a friend who gave me a gym membership. And it was my, one of the first videos I'd done in two years on Instagram, even just a little story. I hadn't done an Instagram story that was not a photo. I'd never, I hadn't done a video on, of me on camera. Do you think that you're uncomfortable because you're in the comparison trap? Like you just don't feel like you look good compared to other people on social media or YouTube? I think it's a lot of things, including comparison to my former self. I think I had this, we had this talk, me, Jason, uh, some form, uh, former NFL player, uh, a bunch of, if you want to call it influential people in, uh, in the plant-based space that, and then I went home and talked to my wife, Karen, about this and maybe some other people that it's, in my opinion, there's a difference between just aging as a person and aging as an athlete. As you age in, as an athlete, you can't do things you used to be able to do. You're not as fast. You're not as strong. You're not as capable. And having to admit that is tough. And so, and I've had a lot of problems, you know. I've had a lot of back herniated disc problems that, that have legitimately slowed me down, like significantly impacted where I, I resented bodybuilding. I hated bodybuilding for a while because, it, you know, I felt it ruined me physically. I was in so much pain. And so I, I, couldn't, I couldn't work out. And so, you know, it's like that, that classic bodybuilding uh, line, uh, you know, you skip leg day. Well, yeah, I've skipped leg day for half a decade. You know, I've got, you know, skinny legs because I can't train them. My spine doesn't hold up. And I've tried lots of things. I've worked with sports chiropractors. I've tried massage therapy. I've done rehab for months. I've done all these things. It's hard to recover. And so it's challenging for me to, I, I think, uh, to age as an athlete. I'm not who I was, you know? And so then I have to transition to, okay, now I'm like, now I'm the writer, right? But then I had to find success out of that. And I was still struggling. Even after releasing four self-published books, it took me such an effort, such an effort just to, to land a book deal. I, you know, I was just repeatedly told I wasn't good enough. Even after, I mean, this is just fact. I sold over a million dollars worth of self-published books, 60,000 copies at $20 each. That's, you know, over a million dollars worth. That's, that's gross sales, of course. It's not net, but, and that still wasn't good enough, you know? And I was told that over and over by, I've worked with at this point, and most people probably don't know, I worked with three different agents all trying to make it. I got one way back more than 10 years ago. Gene Bauer put me in touch with somebody. That book got nowhere. Uh, Brian Wendell put me in touch with someone five years ago. That book never made it. I was, I was told I wasn't good enough. And What do you mean by not good enough? Were those their exact words? or Basically, yeah. I am not good enough as a writer, and I am not famous enough. I am not well-known like influential enough. Influential enough? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Where uh, we are not going to take a chance on you. You don't have enough followers. You don't have mm. a big enough audience. Your and, talent isn't right and, for and us. Then, and then it started yeah. to make me... Like, I, I sincerely did not want to use a lot of social media platforms. I don't like it. I, I've understood from an early, 
early platform, probably years before most people, that it's a highlight reel. I know that because I mm-hmm. used it as that. Mm-hmm. I used MySpace and Facebook and all these platforms, Twitter, Instagram, to show my life's highlights. Look how great I am. Because that's what I thought I had to do to sell myself. Yes. And so I got obsessed with that. But because I skipped out on things like Instagram for those first couple of years when the growth was incredible, you could get a thousand followers a day. It was incredible when it was organic growing, like probably what the TikTok is right now. And then I started to resent that because now I've been in this game, you know, vegan for 25 years, almost 25 years now and on two or 15 years. And maybe because of my decision to avoid some of those platforms to give up my YouTube show, which had 90 episodes back when YouTube was new. Now it comes back all these years later, almost to haunt me that Robert, you don't have a big enough following, you know? And that, I mean, that's not just social media. It could be newsletter subscribers and all of that. And, you know, I've kind of vaguely mentioned this, this book deal I, I, I just got weeks ago, but I, I wasn't able to do it without a co-author, without a professional writer, and without an agent that took me months and months and months to finally agree to work with me. And that's tough because I'm no longer that athlete, you know, and even, even when I use that sometimes, that hashtag, you know, vegan athlete for 24 years, sometimes people tease me, well, what kind of athlete are you? Because I, I just exercise three or four days a week in the gym right now. I don't compete in anything. And so people even are, are questioning my use of athlete. And that makes me uh, a few things. Sometimes I just ignore it. Other times I feel like, well, maybe I'm almost 40. Maybe I will get back into bodybuilding and I'll get all inspired and motivated and, and then I'll hurt my back again because that usually happens every couple of months. It flares up. And I think, well, okay, I can't do that. And then I think, well, I, what am I really good at? Which is writing and public speaking. Mm-hmm. And then I was told I wasn't good enough as a writer. And then I had the great, one of my greatest talents taken away from me a few years ago when I... Uh, I got diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and I couldn't speak. Like I literally couldn't get words out. I couldn't do this podcast. I turned down every podcast, every video. That's why I couldn't be on video. I couldn't even do Instagram stories. I couldn't get words out. And I did everything. Like you couldn't get words out even in yeah. private e- conversations? Yep. yep. I, I couldn't speak on the phone. Uh, even if it was important, like I'd have to call 911 or something. I, I just couldn't speak. I finally... Uh, you know, took myself in. We moved from Colorado to Arizona because we thought it was something in the altitude in the air. I actually couldn't sleep at night. My tongue would get stuck to my roof of my mouth. And we'd had to have these uh, air purifiers, filtration things that were like even the hundred, some, you know, hundreds of dollar ones, expensive ones. Couldn't breathe. And I started taking all these Benadryl pills, thinking it was allergies, which did nothing. But I was just loading up on allergy medicine. I had those like pills all over my house. I looked like, <laughs> and I never really you know, aside from like melatonin stuff, like midnight brand, you know, like all vegan to help you sleep. I hadn't, you know, had to use anything, but I was using all these uh, things to help with what I thought were allergies, but it followed me everywhere. Uh, you know, I'd go to the Caribbean, I'd go to Canada, I'd go to California, I'd go to different climates, Alaska, different parts of the world. And it followed me um, to China, followed me. So finally, I had to take myself in. I hadn't seen a doctor in like 15 years, which also was maybe a mistake that I think a lot of people who are vegan or in the health space don't want to admit, you know, that they need to go see a doctor, you know, just to get blood work done or something. I never really wanted to. I always thought I'm a I'm vegan, plant-based guy. I'm an athlete or, you know, I'm fit, whatever. I'm healthy. And I have no idea what's going on out there. In the, God, there must the, be a little I, kid I think there's yelling. kids. Like, <laughs> someone doesn't want to check out the hotel uh, right now <laughs> because there's like... 
There's a whole bunch of screaming outside. <laughs> hopefully, we're the only ones that can hear. Yeah, it. Yes, so let's okay. not let us interrupt the okay. story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, it's I, the demons in your head. You're the only one that can hear <laughs> oh them. God. So, oh God, uh, I hope not. Uh, so anyway, it's one of those things. I had to you know, take myself in to go see a doctor, and we did, we did everything, including things that were really, really scary for me. One of the reasons I didn't go to see a doctor was because I can't stand needles. I can take shots because I can take pain in the shoulder. I can take pain like, like nobody, you know, because I've dealt with so much spine pain where I've been even temporarily paralyzed, can't use my limbs and all this. I, I, I can deal with pain. I'm not a problem with that. But I freak out the moment they try to take some blood from me. And so I almost passed out just the first day I went in to take blood. Like, I, I mean, I was just sweating, like almost dripping on the floor. I was falling over. They... Karen had to run out to the car and get me some like fruit snacks with some sugar. I was just, you know, I was about to pass out and vomit all at the same time. That was really scary for me. And then they said, well, now you have to go do this once it, you know, you're, it heals in that arm or use the other arm. You have to go do this IV, IV contrast where they put all this iodine in you, which makes your body and you're just filled with it in your entire body. They tell you ahead of time, it's going to feel like you're going to pee your pants and all this. Your whole body just fills up with this like warming sensation that a lot of people just like go to the bathroom. They just, it's just a weird feeling. I had to do that and I had to do CT scans and pulmonary tests, cardiovascular exams, CAT scan, or no, is that no CT scan and CAT scan? I don't know the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, EKG, I had to do all this stuff, all these things. And it was scary. I, I, I didn't deal with very well with needles or doctor places or hospitals or whatever. And, and then when it finally came down to it, the doctor, uh, he, and he'd got to know me for a while. He'd talk to me with, for an hour at a time or more, which is, I thought was pretty cool because I, I didn't know that every person gets that kind of time with a doctor. And after getting to know me and what I do and a little bit about me and all the medical, the actual tests, and by the way, they put me on like inhalers and beta blockers and all this to test and see if it would work. And when he brought me back in for evaluation a few weeks later, perhaps, he said, he said, Robert, there's nothing wrong with you. Physically. There's, yeah, physically, there is nothing wrong with, you, wrong with you. He said, your problem is above your shoulders. And it was, it was really funny to hear a doctor say this because I didn't, you don't expect these words from a doctor. He said, Robert, your problem is you have to be the goddamn best at everything. He said, you have to be the goddamn best at every, everything. You can't, like, you can't settle for anything less. And that was, you know, that was, that was true. It was like, I, I was, you know, I'd been like that like world's most recognized vegan bodybuilder for 10 years. And that was gone, you know? My website was fading with Facebook, you know? And uh, like, I was running out of money and, and uh, you know, I would, I would still tour and, you know, sleep in my car and all this stuff. And like, I, was, I was, but I still like, part of me believed like, you know, I'm still the best, you know? Mm -hmm. like, I am, like, I'm still the best at this. If only I can overcome, like, I can't breathe, you know, get me on stage. Let me talk to people. Let me, let me tell a story, you know, cause I'd done some good things. You know, I sold a lot of books. I'd some great high paying gigs and fully funded all expenses, paid trips, plus getting paid to speak in Australia and China and Europe and all these great places, Caribbean, all these years in a row. And, but I, I was obsessed with, I used to be the best at things, you know, and, and that started when I was little, I was like, I was the fastest runner, runner in school. I had like my name as number one on the mile. You know, um, I would make special appointments with a PE teacher to go set the all-time, in the history of my high school, I would go try to set the all-time record for the mile. I never did. I got close. I never did. 
I had to run in four minutes and change. And I like 505 was the closest I got. I could run like 450 in a race or in a 1500, which is a hundred meters short of a mile. Like I ran that in 433, which is on pace for a 450 mile. It's just another hundred meters. I probably could have done it, but running by myself on the track, I just, I never quite broke that record, but, but I was often just, you know, I, I got kind of accustomed to being like the best at stuff. You know, I set academic records in school. I won all kinds of awards. I, I was poised uh, to be in a place I would eventually get to 20 years later, you know, landing major six-figure book deal and, you know, hanging out with celebrities last night, including the guy who's, uh, uh, actually, you might appreciate this, who played um, Phantom and Fan of the Opera. Uh, he also played Beast in Beauty and the Beast, and he performed in front of over 200 million people on Broadway over the course of decades. His voice is incredible. But, you know, and right now after this, I'm going to go meet up with Def Leppard and Tesla and, and all these people. Like, it's a different world now, but I struggled with something that I never, I never expected. What I thought was allergies and then what turned out to be anxiety, which I, I always thought was like a weakness. And even people, including, we've mentioned Giacomo and Danny, some of my closest friends, and my wife and others would, would suggest like, you know, go talk to someone or whatever. And that was like my least favorite thing to hear. I couldn't stand hearing that. And I just talked to, um, maybe I talked to Jason a little bit about it, but um, I just came from, I've been on tour for like two weeks straight, working on this new book and meeting with celebrities and stuff. And it's been really cool. And I was on tour with Dr. Greger, Michael Greger, with his New York Times bestselling book for two days in Sedona, in Tucson, Arizona. And, I, and some friends were there from Canada. I didn't expect to see them there. One is a psychiatrist, went to medical school for like 16 years, is, works in a hospital. The other one, I can't remember what her title is, but she, uh, same kind of thing. She actually works with military veterans, war veterans who have PTSD and all that. And um, it's, it's, it's amazing. There, there is, and there is a point to this comment. Uh, what's amazing is for the last five years, I've had to survive by, we, we never figured it out, but I've had to survive by applying lotion, just body lotion to my hands literally 50 times a day. I mean, I pull out a bottle just to show, I carry, I carry it's on my person at it's all like times. It's like a text, it's a sensation thing that helps you yeah, relieve I, your if, anxiety. If my hands are dry, I cannot speak. I literally can't get words out. Like my, my voice will get cut off. Like I'll be like, hi, wi- the, uh, uh, like, hi, my name is Rob, Robert. Like, this is the real thing. And so Karen knows when it's happening. Uh, a few other people know when it's happening and they kind of step in and I have to excuse myself. So I couldn't survive without literally 50 times a day. Like I, any hand lotion, it has to be non-scented. I couldn't deal with scents. Scents would throw me uh, it was awful for me. Soaps, perfumes, chemicals, cleaning supplies, hand sanitizer spray, cigarettes, paint. Uh, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't, these were triggers that would set me off. And so I was talking to my friends at dinner and the psychiatrists and people who treat people with these types of true diagnosed anxiety conditions, or I don't think it's obsessive compulsive disorder. It's like a necessity. And so we just had a conversation over dinner for a couple hours and it was it was tough and it was challenging it was emotional because i you know it's one of those things that like took my greatest strength away from me my ability to speak even my own honeymoon was was awful i was so i could not breathe even though we were in beautiful alaska and we were on a cruise which is where we met nine years ago i couldn't even speak at dinner i just sat there at a table of eight just 
they must have thought something was wrong with me. I couldn't speak and because you have to go in and put the hand sanitizer on your hands and that just triggers me and I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And I didn't always have lotion on me and certain lotions, the scent is too strong and then I'm, that throws me off even more. And so we were able to connect a lot of dots and just through talking, uh, I decided I, to them and, and revealing a lot of my issues and where they, maybe they, they stemmed from, I was able to I drove home from Sedona and I couldn't even drive without lotion, even though it makes your hands a little greasy, you know, which may seem like unsafe on the wheel. Like I had to have it or else I couldn't breathe, especially with air flow, air conditioning sets me off too. And so I I drove home without lotion and then I decided I would, and it's after I washed my hands. And as you know, I've got to pee all the time. And so it's, that's why it's so many dozens of times a day or anytime I eat, I always have to, every time I wash my hands, I have to apply lotion. So I stopped at a rest stop and along the two-hour drive home and didn't put lotion on, although I had like 10 bottles in the car, have to everywhere I go. I went home and I never can go to bed without lotion. I just have to. It's just something I have to sleep in, but I didn't do it. I woke up the next day and I had a stressful, you know, high anxiety next day. I had a photo shoot with this company and with Dr. Greger, and, and I met some really influential and important people in my life in, in the business world. And I, was, I spoke in front of 400 people on stage before Dr. Greger took the stage and, and I was fine. And I've continued to do it ever since. It's been like a week now. I did put a little bit of lotion on just before this interview as like a safety, as a safety net for me. You may have seen me in the corner do it quietly over there because I went to the bathroom right before and I had to wash my hands and I wanted to be safe. But I've been able to tell my, I've been able to differentiate the physical need and the mental need for it, which I, I only knew that I needed it and I couldn't survive without it until I tried it and, and really made myself kind of suffer because it is, uh, it, I do suffer. I, 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 it's very uncomfortable. I can't speak. I can't breathe, but I had to go through that in order to reclaim my voice. And I've had, uh, and I'm not, you know, just name dropping for fun, but to put into context, like I, I met some big name people last night for dinner in Hollywood and I'm actually going, that's where I'm meeting some of the same people today to meet with some of those big bands. And I feel more at ease. I feel more comfortable. uh, My whole team knows at the expo where you saw me speak, I would have to do that same thing, apply lotion all day long. I'd often have to excuse myself from the booth. I almost had to forfeit my entire job. And and they pay me well. And I'm I'm in charge. I'm the director. I run the whole thing for this Vegan Strong. I I tour all year long, 20 cities. And I almost had to forfeit and say, I cannot do this anymore. Because I can't be in front of people. I just can't interact. I went from the quintessential extrovert, as you know, from all my silliness and my stage presence for 15 years to the quintessential introvert where I never left my house. A lot, some people even thought I moved already from Arizona. I just stayed at home. And then when people would come to visit, like when you came to visit, I would just hide it. I would just, I would be antsy and, and just like moving around my chair and, and around the couch. And I have to keep moving myself. And I, I even have to pull like sweat off my, or like grease or oil off my forehead to use as, as because I put lotion all over my face and forehead so I can grab it later. I know it's kind of weird, but I have to like make myself sweat and then I can get the moisture and I can continue on with my conversation. Why wouldn't you just put lotion on? Are you afraid that people would judge you for putting lotion on your hands? Yeah. I, for the same reasons, it's so easy. It's so easy to say, you know, don't, don't worry what other people think and all this stuff. And but it's hard in the real world, especially as someone who, it's my own doing, but I'm judged 
every single day on how I look because of my own doing. I'm the guy that's been doing the thumbs up pose for 20 years with my shirt off and all this stuff and obnoxiously posing in front of things, even when I like wasn't even that good of shape. Looking back, it was just part of who I was. So I'm constantly judged for a lot of things, for what I look like at any given time, when I'm at the gym or I get recognized these days fairly often and, and what do people think? And I mean, I, even with food, you know, I mean, I wrote, look at this book right here. I wrote an entire book endorsed by some of the greatest people in our movement about eating whole foods, right? No, you contributed to it. No processed foods, no supplements, whatever. But then guess what? I went back to eating processed foods and I had to like quietly do it in the corner because I didn't want to let Dr. Esselstyn down or Dr. Campbell down or Rip Esselstyn down or Brian Wendell down. And so I've had to quietly I mean, this is true. I mean, I, I quietly will eat in the corner sometimes because I don't want people to see what I'm doing. And then when I do post a photo from like Veggie Grill on Instagram, people are like, well, wait a minute. I spent $20 on your book where you said the opposite. Mm-hmm. And so I'm beholden to expectations that I set for myself. And also just like this, you know, this healthy fit guy. But all the while I had something wrong with me that I didn't know what it was. And so I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't tell anyone that I... I have this disorder, this, I have anxiety because that's supposed to be one of the things that is preventable or a plant-based diet helps you with or whatever, but it wasn't for me. Yeah. And I didn't want to tell anybody. And so I just quietly was uncomfortable all the time until I started talking about it. And I found, what I found was as soon as I could talk about it, like I'm sure it was a little bit of a bombshell when I told Jason, like I got all these problems, man. Like when I told people, when I would tell people like, I have this issue. We don't know what it is. We don't know why it's there, but I have it. I could relax a little bit. Yeah. Because I was guarding it. Because yeah. I'm, right. I'm supposed to be like, I put this pressure on myself is that I am this vision of what, who I think I am. Like, even when I failed early on, I, the reason I was embarrassed was because I had a couple of people tell me I was going to be the next Tony Robbins, and that stuck with me. Right. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be the one that can deal with this. I'm supposed to help other people with this stuff, but I couldn't help myself during those times. And then I felt I let myself down. I wonder if this is going, if this currently is happening to a lot of people or is about to happen to a lot of people. Cause you know, social media has been a big part of, of all of this, right? Is this kind of like you're constantly in front of people all the time that are seeing what you're doing, seeing who you are, thinking you're one thing, right? Like, and so there's a pro and a con. The pro is that you, you can sell your books, yeah. right? And Jason and I, it's like we're, we have books and we have courses and all, all of us use social media ultimately because it's a way of marketing ourselves to get speaking engagements, to get people to listen to the podcast, to people, you know, all of this, all of constant promotion, promotion, promotion. And all of us have kind of witnessed this change, right? because we were on social media so early. And what I feel a massive amount of anxiety, not only on my own work, but I just feel perceived by consuming social media. I feel anxiety just seeing other people's posts, right? And I wonder how many people are experiencing it and hiding it too. Well, let me tell you, I've only, only just started talking about it. In fact, it was one of those things, like, and I even hate to admit it. I was planning this big Facebook post. That's where like, my real friends and family are. You know, I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell a lot of people 
I just hit everything. I was planning this big post because uh, I, I don't know if you know, I got off of all social media for uh, all of it. I mean, I deleted the apps. I couldn't get on if I wanted to. I didn't even know what the passwords like were. Like right now, you're not on it? I'm, I'm on now. Okay, because I remember you took that time off. For how long was uh, that? Twitter was over an entire year. Never, uh, it, was, it was one year and like six days. Never logged in once. The app was gone. I didn't even know if it would remember my password when I put it back on my phone. Facebook was maybe four or six months. Instagram was about the same, four or six months. But one Instagram account was of eight or 12 months, um, and I would only use one. And then I only use it from an iPad, so I couldn't do it from my phone. I set all these limitations for myself. Did you feel like you were addicted, so you had to I know I was physically addicted. keep yourself No, I, I, I know I was addicted. I was heavily addicted. And I, and I, and I openly admitted that. But I was going to come back with like this big post about where I've been and announce that I had this thing. But then I realized I was only doing that, again, for more feedback for more likes, for more, right, oh, right. oh, poor Robert, or, or hang in there, buddy. Um, because when times get tough, I've done that sometimes. Like when I was sleeping in my car trying to sell books, and I couldn't make it anymore. I would post on Facebook, like I'm done. You know, it was almost like a, you know, a call for help. So I was going to do that, but I didn't. But to answer your question or your comment, I've only been talking about this for a short time and we only usually with a few close friends, even often through text, not even through social media. And what's happened is people that I never suspected have come to me and said they're dealing with anxiety. One friend was in the process of getting his PhD and it was just eating him alive. Another one, job interview stuff. Another one, I think the pressure of social media, like it's out there. It's out there. And I think a lot of people probably are hiding it. And, and you know what's, what's amazing? I can tell both of you right now is that even in my most severe moments where I was just suffering internally for four or five years, even a lot of people closest to me, so they never knew. They yeah. couldn't tell. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's the case for a lot of people is, is if you're a public figure, there's an even, I suppose, greater pressure or, or feeling of shame of, I have this success, I have this money, I have this notoriety, I have this legacy. How could I possibly feel this way? Like a lot of that inner dialogue, yeah. like why me? Like this doesn't add up. Like there's nothing horrible going on in my life. There isn't some great tragedy or trauma per se, but I think what you're highlighting, Robert, and, I, and I'm just so glad you're speaking to this level of, of depth and, and vulnerability on this, on this episode, um, of giving people permission, no matter where they're at, to speak this in, their truth into the world. And you talked about how it, it, it sort of, like the weight was off of you a little bit once you spoke about it. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most important things people can do is just admit what is happening to them. Well, because you you've gone through similar feelings, Jason. One hundred percent. I mean, I mean, it was it was frightening to me. You know, what's going to be six years this summer to admit that I was you know diagnosed with clinical depression and that I had you know attempted to kill myself and thought about killing myself and I still do sometimes. I mean, I, just to be blunt, like there are times I still think about killing myself, and it's a deep rooted suffering that goes way 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 back. That I think you know. For all of us, it's not just, you know, the blood tests or the, the physical evaluation. It's getting to the root of, and I share this with you, Robert, this, and I've talked about this on previous episodes, like I have to be the best at everything. And to me, you know, my psychological part of that work of why do I feel like I need to be the best? Why? Always, right? Basketball. Like we were, yeah. I'll talk about our athletics. Had to be the best point guard. Had to be the best track star had to get straight A's in school, had to get a 4.0 GPA, had to be valedictorian. I mean, it's had to be the greatest vegan chef on earth, had to be the greatest, whatever, every damn thing. But why, right? And so I, I dug into it. And for me, it was, that was a way for me to get love from people. Yeah. If I was the greatest at something 
entertaining you, yeah. bringing love into the room, showing you how great one can be when they apply to I'll be so valuable and, and I will be such a huge light in the world that no one will ever abandon me and I'll get all the love that I wanted that I didn't get as a kid. And that was a deep excavation for me of understanding why I felt that way. It's a societal thing too. And I think that social media, for better or for worse, is giving people a platform that they didn't have, that we've never had before in human history. To get a pat on the back and to be loved and be admired and yes. adored. And, and also, like, you can see how pretty, like, not only can my friends see how attractive I am, but now millions of people can validate me for looking attractive and, and or being talented, and funny, what? singing, whatever. Your good friends who are following you can also see the comments from others. And, yes. and, and you're like, wow, look, I sh like, how do you like me now? Right. You know, because you've elevated to a certain level and now your friends are seeing that too. Yeah. And a lot of people that didn't feel popular in school might feel popular in social media. Yes. And we didn't have this as kids, yes. the three of us. I mean, we didn't have we had our little bubble. And if, if you weren't popular there, you weren't popular anywhere, right? Like, and so now it's this big popularity contest all the time and it's magnified. And I think going back to TikTok, I'm really fascinated by it because I've been on it for, since October of 2019. And I was really excited about it first, but then I started to step back and absorb more than just pay attention to what other people were doing more than posting. And there's, there's a hesitancy that I've started to feel as the more I observe it, which is so many people are obsessed with getting famous and TikTok actually gives you the opportunity to feel fame like no other social media platform has before. Mm. Because practically part of what is really amazing and appealing about TikTok is anybody can get 10,000 followers very quickly. Yeah, probably, Anybody. probably early days of like Instagram and stuff. Right. Those... But more than I think I had ever witnessed on yeah. there because I felt like Instagram and Facebook were really about like talent and hard work. TikTok is also about real talent. But yes, real friendships. Also, the network helped you build a lot. TikTok is more random. So if you just post one funny video or one good dance video or you're an attractive person, you know, you just have to do one thing on there and you're launched into quote unquote fame. But I'm wondering if that's going to become detrimental because now more people than ever are experiencing social media fame because of platforms like TikTok. And it's so much easier than it has been on the other platforms from my perspective. Now I'm like worried that it's going to actually enhance this anxiety because now everybody's being rewarded and what happens when it's taken away? I was just going to say that there's a cost when it goes away. And I mean, you and I have talked about this even years ago about how you and I were kind of early in this movement and we feel like maybe we're not as relevant as we once were, even though we may have, I don't want to say paved the way and all this stuff, but we were early, we were active, we followed the rules, we did all the things, but people came out of nowhere and, and we're not as relevant. And it's, it's really conflicting for me because it's, we have been taught through business that if you work hard enough and you're consistent and you have longevity, you'll be rewarded from yes. it. But that's not the case on social media for everybody. Yes. In fact, I feel like I'm working just as hard, if not harder than ever and seeing a lot less results. And it's incredibly confusing mentally. No, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, Whitney, because I was so wanting to bring this up. I'm glad this organically came up because to get uncomfortable for a moment, and I don't think I've ever admitted this publicly, like I often feel a lot of resentment. Oh, me too. Resentment. Like, like resentment for like, 
you talk about like being pioneers, right? Of like, you know, whatever it was, vegan bodybuilding and, 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 you know, activism, sustainability, eco-friendly, vegan chefing, like, and I'll see these younger people come up, like having been doing it for like a year, like 12 months and then boom out of nowhere, they get massive. And I'm like, been doing this they're shit getting, 15 years they're getting the rewards that you instant, want yes but instantly yes, and so it, the it instant it, rewards so it engenders the it, work. it engenders in me a sense of resentment that i have to work through all the time sure because it's happening so much of like who's this kid like all of a sudden like you're king vegan i'm like you've been around 12 months right that's my internal dialogue is i get really resentful so so we're laughing but like we brought it up like how do, do you guys feel this and how do we deal with these feelings of resentment of these up and comers who all of a sudden get, quote, famous out of nowhere? And we're like, yo, we're OG's been grinding at this for more than a decade. Well, I, I was laughing because I was literally having this conversation yesterday. It actually, it may have been the night before. Everything was the night before as we were walking back with our Vegan Strong team about, you know, just kind of joking about there are some big name people in the vegan bodybuilding world now. And uh, there were a couple of them who were, you know, quite well known and who were uh, probably playfully. But, you know, referencing themselves as like the grandfathers of the vegan bodybuilding movement because they've been doing it for four years. And, and <laughs> wow. And I was, wow. And I think I even chimed in just to be, just to be, little, you know, just be a little cheeky. I just, you know, I like hand wave, you know, 24 years over here. I actually kind of co founded the movement. But yeah, I feel that too. And I talked to other vegan athletes and vegan bodybuilders. And, you know, I don't want to mention names or anything, but actually we've had a conversation about that all weekend with a, a number of the core members of our Vegan Strong team. Yeah. There were so many people in our circle back in the day who had so much potential. They had the look, they had the ability, they had the talent, and they never made it. They never made it anywhere on social media or with their own opportunities with brands and businesses and endorsements and sponsorships. And they got passed over. And it's unfortunate, you know, and I, and I felt maybe my days were numbered too, you know? I already said I resented bodybuilding for a while. And I, I, I actually, uh, if anyone listening uh, want to buy something, I was planning to sell vegan bodybuilding over the last five years. I was going to give it away at one point. I was so done with it and was going to do something different with my life. And then I realized, well, you know, there's some real value there. And the, the game changers coming out soon, which I had known about for eight years. Maybe veganbodybuilding.com would have some actual real estate value, I could get something out of it because I didn't want to do it anymore. And so I'm still unsure what to do with it. But I've felt a lot of that. It's mixed feelings. It's a little bit of resentment. It's a little bit envy, a little bit jealousy, but also a little bit of excitement because, because I'm, I'm genuinely happy for other people and I'm happy for the movement to grow. Is this, this quote that, I don't know the exact quote, but something like vegans are the the only people who, who really want to put themselves out of business because everyone's doing it. Like if you're, if there's no, then there's no more need for your products and services anymore because everyone yeah. is doing it. So yeah. we talk about that all the time as a vegan business owner or restaurant owner or food creator or whatever you do, like we want to put ourselves out of business because it's so common and that makes the world better. Right. And so I have lots of mixed feelings. I do want to go back on one thing real quick. It's, it's a little bit going backwards, but I just want to throw it out there because I couldn't help but think about it for a long time. I've never, I've never mentioned it before. You wanted to be, Jason, you wanted to be the best at everything like me. Yep. Uh, I've been able to trace that back a little bit myself. You know, obvious thing is being a middle kid, right? That's, that's, a, that's obvious, but I don't know how I feel about, about, about this, but 
I'm maybe rare. I'm not sure. I hope so. Sure as, sure as I hope so. But I'm almost 40 and I've never, I've never heard the L word from my parents before. I've, I mean, that, that's for real. I've never, I've never been told that I was, I was loved before. And it took me more than five years to say that word to Karen, who I'm married to. And she was using it early on. And I'm like, what are you doing with that word? That is a sacred word that should be saved for something super meaningful. I mean, I haven't even heard that from my parents and you're trying to use this word. I wouldn't, I wouldn't use it. I would only use it in, in playful conversations. You're like, you know, we say, I love you, bro, whatever. But I never really, I never really meant it to anybody until I got married. And just a few weeks ago, I mean, I, I, I try to build up the confidence best that I can. When I moved to Austin, Texas, seven years ago, I, I, did, I did say it to my mom when I left home because I was living at home. I, I, I said, I love you. And she said, okay. She doesn't know how to respond to it. I just spent New Year's, New Year's Eve in the, in the emergency room. My mom wasn't doing very well. She had some issues. She was in bed for like four days. And so Karen and I took her in. We missed our flight. You know, we're not, we're not flying home. And she had double pneumonia and low red blood cell count and all this and was in the hospital for days. And so when, when my brother was taken over and we finally, you know, flew back home, I, you know, I, I said, I love you. I said it twice. And. She didn't know how to respond. She didn't, she didn't say anything back. And I think I, I probably recognized that as a kid. And I thought that was, that was the root of like, I'm going to be the best in the world. <laughs> and I was for a while. I was, a, I was the best vegan bodybuilder in the world. And, and to quote, you know, a, an old documentary, a silly thing about pro wrestling. Uh, Jake the Sake Roberts said I, he was trying to prove, he was trying to get his dad's love and he became one of the best. And he said, you know what? I did it. And you know what? It didn't matter. And I feel that way. I became, I became the best at what I, lo- what I loved. And the only people who cared were freaking the internet. Goddamn Facebook people. And I'm not even that big or strong or successful, but they, they love me. I heard it all weekend. People were so excited seeing me this weekend in LA. Like, man, you changed my life for you. I mean, other people were like even crying to me. You know, you helped me believe in myself and all that. And I'm so glad I did that for a lot of other people, but I was doing it for myself. And, and, and just, just, like, just like Jake the Snake, and I did it. And I don't know if it mattered. Maybe my, I think my parents, I've also never heard the P word. I've never heard them say, I'm proud of you. And so I constantly, I mean, you can ask Karen, the, the most common thing, I'll text her. Uh, I, I take the word of out uh, as an inside joke. I said, I just say proud me with a question mark because I have to ask for it all the time. Even meeting the celebrities last night, the group photos with these big time people, you proud me and, and she'll tell her, I'm, I'm proud of you. <laughs> so when you were talking about that, Jason, I, I thought like, you know, that's probably what's going on with me is that you use that word. Like I was trying to win someone's love, no matter who that is, family, friends, fans, the internet. And I think that has honestly been my journey to the point that I, and I joked, I was telling, um, 
who was I telling? Oh, I was telling my, one of my closest friends of all time, my friend from preschool. We're still like best friends today. He's the one that got me into bodybuilding as a teenager. He's the one that helped me with all my books. He's coming out to see me for my 40th birthday from Oregon. Um, we met Arnold Schwarzenegger together on my 21st birthday. Um, I told him that, you know, in my family, I'm, I'm the joke. You know, my sister got her PhD. My brother works for the government, got a six-figure job out of college, uh, owns big, beautiful, fancy houses. My other brother runs a million-dollar cattle farming operations, one of the mo- most well-known guys in the city. And I come home for the holidays, and my dad will say, okay, everyone, quiet, Robert, tell us how great you are. Because I've had that, my dad, probably most of my family, considers me a, a big self-promoter because I've always been trying to sell myself. And I'm so sick of selling myself. And what I was going to say to you, Whitney, earlier, when we were talking about TikTok and all this stuff, in a perfect world, I would get away from all of it and go live in Costa Rica or in Indonesia and live a quiet life away from all of it. I mean, really, for real. And, and I only got back on social media recently because I thought it would help me land a better book deal if I was current on social media. So why do you think I posted all those photos of me and Arnold Schwarzenegger, me and Def Leppard, me and all these celebrities, so when they're auditing me and looking at me and checking me out on the internet, it shows a post from late 2019 that I'm current on the internet and I'm with famous people and maybe we should give that guy a better deal or at least some sort of deal offer at all. And I don't know if that mattered or not. It probably didn't. Uh, it, it probably wouldn't have even mattered. And in, in I guess, a selfish way, I would get rid of all of it in a minute. I don't, I don't care anymore. I don't care about positive or negative feedback on the internet. It has become a stress. It's something that uh, I don't think brings all the value to my life anymore. And uh, I plan to go away again. And if I can, and with this new book, I, I may finally be able to be completely self-sustainable with book royalties and everything where I, I won't need to do this stuff anymore. But part of that, part of me thinks it's a little bit selfish too. If I have skills and talents and abilities to inspire other people to eat less animals and I help make an impact on the planet, uh, I feel a little bit selfish by if I stop promoting. But then again, I'm one person out of 8 billion and I don't have that much of an influence on social media anyway. Will I even be missed? Yeah. I mean, wow. Will you be missed? I mean, I think, dude, just, I I just want to answer that question directly because it's so, sorry. I'm also like, just so moved by what you had to say, man. I'm just going to blow it in my shirt. Sorry. (laughs) Well, before you get into that, I think, is that what went on for you too, Jason? Is this idea, like when it, it comes to these ideas of suicide is, do I even matter? And if you get to a point where you feel like you don't matter and you, you know, being off social media, you might as you know, some people go as far to think, well, do I even need to be on this planet anymore? Because will I be missed? I mean, I, I, I know this is whatever apples to oranges or whatever, but I don't think we fully understand the impact that we are having on people's lives because we don't hear it from them. You know, and, and, and you, Robert, talking about meeting people yesterday or, or on tour, or having these interactions where people are like, you changed my life. You, you know, you literally, um, I, I mean, I'm still like kind of all messed up about Kobe 
And I know mm-hmm. this is tangential, but it's related in the sense of like, I never met Kobe. I never met Prince. I never met David Bowie. I never met Anthony Bourdain. I never met these, these, these luminaries that excelled in their given fields. But there's something about when someone is creating something that is so tremendously powerful and heartfelt and excellent and beautiful, art, music, food, sports, that touches us, right? We may have never met this human, mm-hmm. but I was crying yesterday over Kobe. I was yeah. crying this morning. Yeah. And it's like, why am I crying over Kobe? Well, because I, I played basketball and I looked up to him as a kid when I was playing in high school and I, and, and I was doing my thing, right? I, just as a musician, I looked up to Bowie or Prince or these guys. And, and I think my point is like, do I matter anymore? I'm sure, Robert, that like there are people that will never say it to your face or never write a comment or never let you know for all of us that we have done something so profoundly impactful and we're never going to understand how deep that is. And I think for me, like the sorrow I feel over Kobe is a reminder of that. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was a deep, deep reminder of that influence. I've been following as well. And Ryan, uh, Ryan Nelson, who's been sharing this hotel room with me over the last few days, he and I had the same reaction. He, once I left to go to my dinner meeting last night, he just broke down here in the room and you know, he and I had some wet, watery eyes watching um, hours of TV coverage last night. In fact, after this, we're actually going down there to Staples Center to go pay some oh. respects before we drive back to, uh, to Arizona or before we head to wow. the gym and then Arizona. But we, we're, that's the plan is to head down there to Staples Center right now. And, and uh, you know, for me, it's not it's not uh, idea of will I be missed. It's, it's almost like I, I, I want to. I want to escape from it. But not, not in a way that I want, to, I want to disappear or harm myself or anything like that. But I just want to be away from the noise. I want to go write more books. And I'll, I actually think my influence will go up. I'm, I'm not worried about that. Me personally, I've got five nieces and nephews now. I want to write children's books and have their names and the characters. And they're, all, they're between ages two and seven. So they're young enough where they would, they would just love that. And I want to spend more time with family. And when I did go home for the holidays... I, I didn't turn on my computer for nine, my, nine days, which may be the longest in 20 years. And I didn't post on social media the whole time and I, at all. And I didn't write a single email. And that was nice. You know, I felt like uh, that was <laughs> yeah. a, a, life I, a lifestyle I could get used to. And so that, and going full circle, and I, and I know we're wrapping up now, like that's why I'm not on TikTok. Because I don't want to be sucked in to something that I'm beholden to that has control over me, whereas I don't have control over it. Yeah. Where I, I'm actually looking to walk away from the social media, but have a greater impact because I can be centered and focused. And I have 25 years of experience as a plant-based athlete to call upon. And not just athlete, I've been doing speaking and business stuff and networking um, better than a lot of other people. And I think I have a lot to share in that, in that world. And even now overcoming this this anxiety issue to come back and, and now speak in front of large audiences again and, and reclaim my voice. And that's probably a story worth telling. Absolutely it is. I think this is going to move so many people, your story. And that's what I was thinking too, Robert, is perhaps you have a book in your future just sharing this story, you know, however form that, that takes. And um, I'm just so grateful that you opened up and that you trusted us with your story and you were willing to get uncomfortable and vulnerable. It, it was really an important gift to share. And, you know, I think that we're swinging in 
we're going to swing it in the opposite direction at some point. We're going to come back to this. I think social media is going in a direction that's not the best for our mental health as human beings. And we're going to realize that we're losing connection with one another. And, you know, I saw a post earlier today on Facebook in a group that I'm in. And it was about like how we're no longer real human beings because everything's digital. You know, our digital selves and our personas. I mean, we've created these these avatars of yeah. ourselves. Everyone's a character now. In fact, in fact, yeah. many people don't even go by their real names anymore. We're all like pro wrestling characters. We all have a, a name we go by. Which you know, is like what a, I'm actively a handle, yeah. you know, a handle that we're that we're because known that's as. what we had ten years ago, and I'm I'm working hard now to get away from mine eco vegan gal because I you know I don't want to be a handle. You're still I want to be in my phone as eco vegan. <laughs> well, it's Whitney eco vegan gal. Yeah, in my people phone. introduce me as eco vegan gal, and I, it makes me very uncomfortable because I want to be known as Whitney. I don't want to be known as a persona anymore, and. And, you know, we all made these decisions or, well, you guys actually didn't really as much as I did. Jason's kept his, his name as his quote unquote brand. But I, I think that it's becoming so saturated and so common that it's going to have to, it's either going to destroy us or we're going to have to revert back and get simpler again. And I'm hoping for the latter because I think that it could destroy us. I think mental health is getting really bad right now. And there's in my opinion, no coincidence that it's with the rise of social media that teenagers are suffering more than ever right now. Whether it's physically suffering from all of the technology, mentally suffering from everything they're seeing on the screens and the comparisons and the pressure and on and on, the need for validation and or the, the you know, we get these hits of validation and then it's taken away from us. I mean, it's really tough as all of us have shared. So... I think for you, Robert, as we wrap things up, that your gift of sharing your story and the lessons that you've learned over 25 years, no one, no one can share your story. Nobody has your experiences. And that's where your power is. Your power is not your persona online. Well, I, uh, I want to thank you both. This was a, a difficult one for me, <laughs> um, uh, for sure. And uh, maybe next time we chat, I'll... Uh, somehow make it as a as a best-selling author and maybe i'll be out on a beach in costa rica and influencing more people maybe we'll be there with you yeah honestly Hopefully. like maybe we could just buy a commune in costa rica and all move there i'm 100 percent down for that plan get the animals ready and, and southwest airline flies there now southwest airlines goes there so it's easy yeah but yeah but start yes thank you uh thank you both for the opportunity yeah. today and uh allowing me to share some difficult truths about, about my world that I live every day. Yeah. Thank you, Robert. Well, for the listener, we will put an opportunity for you to connect and share your story at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. You can go to the podcast section and check out the show notes and you'll be able to connect with Robert. Maybe not through social media, but maybe through email. Uh, however, you can buy his books. You can, you know, you'll go to his speaking events and see him in person and, and have a one-on-one -on -one connection like we were blessed to have today. And uh, we'd love to hear from you too. So you can leave a comment and, and share what you thought of this episode and any, any experiences that you've had. We would really just love to connect with you more. That's, that's a big aim of ours. We wish we could have had you here sitting in the room and we're grateful that you listened. 
So we'll see you in the next episode. And and thanks once again, Robert. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 